all throughout our life, we're very used to um, things being good and knowing what that is, good things that we can know and have and experience and things that are better. You know, we, we have uh, the chance all through our lives from going from good to better and knowing the difference and seeing that difference. Um, one such example is uh, when it comes to camping. Um, camping in the backyard, that's good, that's fun, right? It's enjoyable. Um, but there's a better way of camping. And uh, for me, uh, that would actually look like uh, this next slide. Let's go to this next picture there. Yep. That's my kind of camping. In a little uh, villa bungalow right there on the Caribbean. Man, wish I was there right now. How about you? Yeah, so uh, for me, that's, that's better. The other, that's good. You know, that's doable. It's enjoyable. That's better. Right? And uh, that's, that's exactly um, how it is with the first um, segment of our summer reading list, uh, our series within a series, is the uh, book of Hebrews. We're going to be doing an overview of that. And the summary of the entire book is that Jesus is better. Summarizes the entire book of Hebrews. Everything that the author communicates and, and writes about and points to, it all comes down to that. that Jesus is better. And so for our series within the series, our overall series all summer long is summer reading list, and, and the first sub-series of that is Jesus is Better in the overview of the book of Hebrews. We're going to be doing that for the next five weeks, and although we obviously will be looking at different things throughout each week, it really does all come back to that statement, that reality, that Jesus is better. And just as it summarizes the whole book of Hebrews, that statement should really be the, the mantra over every believer's lives. Everyone that is a true follower of Christ should be able to have that statement as the banner over their life. That should summarize every aspect of our lives as believers. That no matter what we do, no matter what we pursue, no matter what we know and experience, that the cry of our hearts would be, Jesus is better. And not just that he is better, but rather he is the best. He's the ultimate over everything. And as we jump into Hebrews uh, in, our, in our study here, uh, as an overview of the book, we're going to start off with Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 today. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And... Right away, uh, you should just be blown away at what is said here about he who is supreme, Jesus, the better one. Uh, it's just incredible, uh, the, the language that, that the author uses here to write and to make his case that Jesus is better than anything and anyone else, that he is superior. And we need to understand uh, a little bit of the context as, as far as who this is written to and what was the purpose. Um, as you can gather from the title of the book, Hebrews, uh, it's written to the Jewish people. Specifically, uh, this was written to Jewish Christians primarily. And it was written to Jewish Christians who struggled, who struggled greatly with focusing exclusively 
on Jesus, with, with devoting their hearts and their minds and their lives exclusively to him, with depending exclusively on the person and work of Jesus. Their challenge was to, to go forward with Christ and him alone, not to still depend on the law, not to still depend on the Mosaic rituals and traditions, not to still depend on their identity as those who were under the law. Uh, they, were, they were constantly struggling with kind of straddling the fence between the Old Testament and law and what was now the New Testament, the New Covenant in Jesus and sole reliance on His work on the cross on their behalf. They, they struggled with putting confidence still in the blood of, of goats and lambs and the sacrificial system and having full confidence in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, that ended all sacrifice. And so they kept going back and forth, and, and it was a, a really difficult thing for many, many Jewish believers. And it wasn't just uh, to uh, the, the specific audience that the author of Hebrews uh, had to deal with, with those things about. Um, Paul had to deal with that over and over and over in all of his writings uh, with the Galatian Christians and the Corinthian Christians. And so this was a common dilemma with those who were Jewish, but Jewish Christians. And so the primary purpose of this whole book is to say, put your eyes on Jesus and see him as far superior than any of those former things. It doesn't mean that those former things are bad or were bad. They were good, but Jesus is better. And that's the whole aim of this book. That's that's what the author was writing to. We don't know exactly who the author is. There's speculation. A lot of people have said that Paul seemed to be the, the author. And for a, lot of time, for a lot of the time, I thought that that was probably the case uh, early on. Uh, I really believed that. I've come to believe that probably isn't the case. I don't really think that was, that was really Paul. Um, the style and, and some of the, the details are off compared to his other writings. Um, some people have said uh, Apollos, you know, Paul's co-laborer. Um, others have said uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Others, Peter. Uh, it really doesn't matter, though, as far as who wrote the book. What matters is understanding why and how we apply that. And even though you may not be Jewish, and so you can't completely understand uh, where the Jewish Christians this was written to were coming from, we certainly can understand the dilemma of... Jesus and in our lives. And we certainly deal with that. And that's certainly a temptation for all of us. To know that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Lord of all. And to believe that, that he is the one we need. That he is the only Savior. We can believe all that. And still struggle with being 100% devoted to him. We can still struggle with being completely all in. We can, we can struggle with giving him our whole self, our whole mind, our whole heart, everything that we are. Whether it's dealing with um, legalism and knowing that Jesus is the Savior we need and, and that through him and through him alone we have a relationship with God the Father and through Jesus alone we have the favor of the Father. We can, we can know that intellectually but still go about practicing in our lives as if we still have to earn God's favor. 
You know, that to get God to really like us, we have to do this and this and this and this. And we can still kind of impose on ourselves a new law. You know, we still can pursue a performance-based relationship with Christ. Rather than totally resting and trusting in what He's already done for us. And if it's not that, we struggle and wrestle and, and have to deal with constant distraction away from Jesus. Away from Him being first in our lives. We have all kinds of shiny little things in our lives. And we have all kinds of obligations. And we have all kinds of great, meaningful relationships. None of which are bad in and of themselves. They can be good things, right? Our families and our jobs and our, our hobbies and, and even the things we have. Not necessarily are any of those things bad or wrong. But when we take a good thing and make it a God thing, it's very, very wrong, very, very, very bad, and completely opposite of what we're called to do. So we should identify, even if we're not Jewish by nature, we should identify with the struggle that they had of keeping their whole attention, their whole focus, their whole heart on Jesus, on who he is, on what he did for them, on keeping him high and lifted up and exalted. So that is kind of the the background of the book and the reason for writing. And with that in mind, we jump right in to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So he's saying again to a Jewish audience, remember that, a long ago, all of our fathers, all the, the, the people who've come before us, all the great ancestors of the Jewish nation, think Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those people that, that would have stood out uh, to every Jewish person, saying God spoke to all of them. He, he let them know some things about himself. He revealed himself to them. And that's always the way it has to work. Mankind never pursues God on their own. We don't go after him. Uh, from the beginning of the, of the Garden in Eden, when, when the fall took place, from that point on, man did not pursue God. Man pursued man. So God, very early on, had to step in and say, I want you to know something about me. I'm coming to you. And he did this, according to this verse, at different times and in different ways by the prophets throughout history. And really when it, when it talks about the prophets, that means just a messenger of God. Something that, that needed to be declared to people he did through the prophets. It wasn't always just telling the future. It was saying, here's what God wants you to know right now. And so he did that through many different prophets and through many different authors of the books of the Old Testament. There were over 45 uh, different authors and, and they wrote and declared things about God uh, to the people of God over 1,500 years. So different times and, and in different ways. I mean, you had, you had people like Moses who, who wrote about uh, the law and who gave the Ten Commandments. And then you had Joshua and you had, had other people all through history separated by hundreds of years, separated by different areas of the world. God spoke to different, through different means, 
through different people. He spoke through different styles of writing and different styles of communicating, different ways of revelation. He spoke through poetry and he spoke through prophecy. He spoke through the law. He spoke through ritual and he spoke through tradition. He spoke through types and symbols and festivals. He spoke through visions. He spoke through dreams. And he did all this in different ways all throughout history. And it was all like a puzzle piece, you know, it was, it was fragmented. It was all complete truth from God, but it wasn't complete. There were like different fragments, different pieces of a puzzle. Here was one and there was one. And it was all God's truth and it was all revealing him, but it wasn't completely together yet. Here a little, there a little, building on one another. Verse 2. But in these last days, and this is speaking of uh, the days of the Messiah, okay, the days of the appearance of the Messiah, his, his advent, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So in the past, he spoke to us through, through great men of God, through prophets and, and through uh, priests and through good men, and those were good things. Those were good messages. Those were good methods through which God spoke. But it wasn't the best. The best was what he's done in, at least at the time of this writing, the author was saying in these last days, the time of Messiah, the the times where nothing else really has to happen. And we're still in those days. It's still the last days because Messiah has come. Messiah has returned back to heaven. Nothing else really has to happen in God's calendar except for him returning. So we are in the last days, but the last days have been happening for quite a while. And in these last days, God who spoke all through history, here a little, there a little, through men, has now spoken to us by his very Son. And what makes this so spectacular... What makes this so much more superior than any of the other ways in which God spoke is knowing what it means that he spoke through his son and what that means for us and what that means about Jesus. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, the Father, that's talking about, the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He's made him known. Jesus is the absolute fulfillment of all of those other messages. That's what makes him so superior. This wasn't just people writing about God. This was now God himself in the person of Jesus coming and saying, you don't need to know about me any longer through other people. I'm here to tell you exactly the way I am. I'm I'm here to reveal to you my exact nature. All these other people that that wrote their personalities and their natures, they were still intact. You didn't really get to see God's nature through their writing. Now, in Jesus, you get to see exactly who God is, what he's like, his exact nature. And he was the fulfillment. He's the one that brought all of those fragments together. Everything that was kind of um, impartial here a little bit, there a little bit, and, and it wasn't complete, he completed it all. He made all of that work. And they were the ones that were all pointing to the Messiah. 
in all that they wrote about, all those people who came centuries before, all the prophets and, and all the, the different ways of revealing things about God, it ultimately all pointed to Jesus, and now he's here. He's the fulfillment of it all. And that's why he said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. It's not that I came to do away with all those things. They were good things. The law, it's good. The prophets, what they wrote about, those are good things. I didn't come to destroy them. I didn't come to do away with them. Rather, I came to fulfill them all. He's the absolute fulfillment of all of the revelations of God that came before. And just so people didn't think, well, he's just another prophet. He's just another source of revelation, which we know the disciples were guilty of of kind of believing, at least for a minute. Remember the the Mount of Transfiguration? Remember when Jesus showed his glory uh, to the disciples that were there, Peter and James and John, and Peter spoke up and said, hey, it's good for us to be here, Lord. There's Peter again, you know, speaking before he thinks. And he said, it's really good that we're here. Tell you what, let's just stay here. Let's camp here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to erect some tabernacles. One for you, because, you know, you're Jesus. But one for Moses and Elijah, because they appeared there with him as he was transfigured, as his glory shone. And really, they were saying... We're the ones, you're the one that we, all of us, wrote about and pointed to. Moses represents the law. Elijah represented all the prophets. You have the law and the prophets there with Jesus, showing he's the one we all pointed to. He's the one we were all trying to glorify. He's here, and we're recognizing that. But Peter didn't quite get that. And he said, hey, this is great. We've got three great prophets in front of us. We've got three great messengers of the Lord. Let's just honor all of them equally. And to that, the father spoke up and said, I don't think so. He said, this, this one, this one is better than the other two. This one here that you have before you, this Messiah, my son, he's better than anyone ever could be. All that came before him, he's better than them. All who, who will come after him, he's, he's better than them. He is the best. He is the supreme. And he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, don't even think about elevating the other people to the same level that Jesus is. Focus on Jesus. Be devoted to him. Let your, let your worship be exclusive to him. Let your affection be high and above any other and let it rest on him. We would do well to remember that. Because, you know, we know a lot of different good people. And we can listen to a lot of different good people. And we can read a lot of really good things. Um, all of which, you know, are, are um, full of purpose. You listen to a, a good Bible teacher. You listen to um, a, a good preacher. You read a good book uh, about God's Word. Those are all good things. But we can't ever make the mistake of substituting any of those things for Jesus himself. He is the ultimate best. And he's what we have to remain devoted to. 
So God has spoken to us by his sons far superior than any of the other uh, methods or, or messages or people that gave those messages about God. He has now finally fully spoken through Jesus. He is the, the full revelation of God. There's nothing else that needs to be said about God that you, you don't find in Jesus. He's the, the absolute and complete and perfect revelation of God. He's not just a messenger for God. He is the message. And here's what the writer says about the Son, about Jesus, the superior one. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. That word universe or the world, depending on what translation you have, uh, that's not just the physical stuff. That means he created the ages. It means he created time. He created history itself. And Colossians 1.16 says that it wasn't just that Jesus made the world, that actually all that was made was made for him. That he is the goal of creation. He didn't just make things, he actually gave things purpose. And ultimately everything that was made was made for his glory and for his honor. He made the worlds, he made time, he made government structure. He, he ordered everything all for a purpose on, on purpose. And it was all ultimately for him. Verse three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. When the author here talks about the radiance of God's glory, that's, that's like, um, think of the sun. You know, we can't look at the sun, uh, we, we'll be blinded. We can't actually see the sun itself. We understand the sun by the rays of the sun that come to us. We understand the sun by the light it gives off, by the heat it gives off. That's our understanding and our, our awareness of the sun. And that's a, a really poor example, but it still kind of works with what is being said here. Um, you can't look at God the Father. You can't see Him. I, I alluded to John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. But in Jesus, you see what He's like. In Jesus, you know all that the Father is. That's why He told Philip uh, in John 14, when, when Philip said, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? I've been with you now three years. You've heard me. You've, you've followed me. Philip, if you've seen me, if you've listened to me, you've seen and and you've heard from the Father. Because everything I say is from Him. And everything I'm like, that's how what He's like. And what He's like, I'm like. We're one in nature. We're one in purpose. We're one in message. He didn't say we're the same. The Father is the Father. The Son is the Son. But they are, are equal in nature. They're equal in attributes. They're equal in desire. So by looking at Jesus, by By hearing from Jesus, by knowing his word, by knowing his character, we know the character of the Father. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact expression of his nature. That's like a a steel engraving. It's like taking a stamp and stamping something on something else. It's the exact same image. There's no difference at all. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This means that not only is Jesus the creator of everything, he's the one that keeps it all going. He's the one that keeps it all together. This is incredible because that means that when Jesus was a little baby 
lying in the manger, as he came as the incarnate word, as Emmanuel, while he was in that form, he was still the sovereign over all the universe, the one that held everything together. That means that at any moment, if he wanted to, he could have let it all go. He could have let everything just completely cease to exist. And one day he will. We know that when all is, is said and done, when all the, the purposes of the Father are fulfilled, when, when all the timetable uh, is complete, we know that the universe will just melt away. What that means is Jesus will just let go. And by the word of his power, he'll say, that's it. It's done. So not only is Jesus the creator, he's the sustainer of all things. The fact that you and I are breathing and, and here alive is, is credit to Jesus giving us life. The fact that we have a world to live in that's still going on uh, is a credit to Jesus. He's keeping it all together, all by his powerful word. And what is even more incredible than all of this is the fact that this incredible God, this creator and sustainer, this full and complete revelation of all that the Father is, the fulfillment of all of the prophecies and revelations given over 1,500 years by 45 or so different people, this complete expression of all that God is. He also made himself nothing, He made himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was willing to give his life for the ones that didn't accept him, for the ones that he knew would continue to reject him, for the sinners that rebelled against him just as they did his father. That he, being all that this says, being all that he is and all that he ever was, that he was willing to take on flesh, human flesh which he made, And to give his life, to give that flesh in death as a sacrifice for all of us. That's what's even more amazing than any of those other things. And that's what he did. He went to the cross to purchase our salvation, to purchase our life. And here's what the author of Hebrews continues saying. After making purification for sins as our atonement, as our sacrificial lamb, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That shows that the work on the cross was truly enough. It was completely enough to purchase our salvation. It was, per, it was completely enough to, to purchase our right standing with the Father. It was completely enough to be able to know the Father personally and intimately as our very own Father. Not because of anything we could do, not because of anything we deserve, but because of what Jesus did. He sat down. It was finished. The work on the cross our redemption, our justification, it was all complete. So he sat down. He didn't need to do anything else. It also speaks to the fact that he is supremely honored, that he has full authority. By him sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, that's speaking of God the Father. And for someone to sit down at the right hand of God, saying he's equal to God. This is showing his divinity. That's why he was able to be the heir of all things. Yeah, he made all things, and so it stands to reason he would be heir of all things, but, but it also is speaking to the fact that as Messiah, as the God-man, as his humanity, he was completely equal to God in all of his divinity. No one else 
could be made heir of all things, but someone who is divine. And so here he is, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, showing his honor, showing his authority, showing his own majesty, unparalleled. And we don't have to wonder, what is God like? We don't have to imagine what his character is like and what's important to him. We can look at Jesus and see that. We can, we can look at his word and know exactly what the Father would like us to know about himself. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You want to know what God is like? Look no further than his Son. You want to know what he values? Look no further than his son. You want to know what he wants for your life? Look no further than what Jesus has to say. That means we have to, we have to pattern our lives after Jesus. That means we have to take his word and not just read it, not just understand what it says from an intellectual standpoint, but we need to actually apply it. We need to live it out. And in so doing, we'll understand who God is and, and what he is. And as we look at Jesus... And the more we look at him, the more we know him, the more we, we walk in our lives with him, the, the longer we're with him in a relationship with him throughout our lives, the more and more beautiful he should become to us, the more supreme he should be to us. And we need to constantly reject all the things that are less than him, all the things that, that kind of vie for our attention, all the things that try to steal our devotion away from him. And those are many, and those are constant. We're constantly, we're constantly face-to-face with little gods. We're constantly having to contend with things that are trying to become first and foremost in our lives. Relationships and passions and even good things like, like ministry. All of those can rob Christ's rightful place as first and foremost in our lives if we're not careful. We have to constantly battle against that because he alone is supreme. He alone is the best. And he will always be the only best in and for our lives. All other things may be good, but he will always be the only best. And it's because of that and because of the constant... Uh, fight for, for that attention and devotion being exclusively and supremely with Jesus that, that I completely agree with what has been written a long, long time ago by one of the greatest authors you could ever read. Um, once again, though, he's, he's only good. He's not the best. Um, C.S. Lewis. Love C.S. Lewis. Uh, love pretty much anything he ever wrote. And in all of his writings, there's always a thousand different quotes that are just fantastic that you can just grab onto. Um, But this one quote has always been one of my favorites, and it speaks to everything uh, that we've just been talking about together. The fact that Jesus is the best, he is the supreme, that he is the one we need to focus all of our devotion on, and that we need to pursue higher and, and better than anything else. And it speaks to the fact that we always will have to, to battle and to fight our own hearts, our own minds, our own flesh, because we're always going to be going after other things that are less than him. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. 
when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You know, when I was, when I was uh, growing up, um, we would have Salisbury steak, and uh, I hated it. I thought it was awful. I mean, I didn't know any better as far as what steak really should be. Um, I just thought this was steak, and if this was steak, I didn't want it, you know. And so I, I, we, I would choke it down and put it in a napkin and try to hide it. And, um, but every time we had steak growing up, that's what it was. It was Salisbury steak. And um, then when I got older... I went with a friend to a restaurant one time, and, and he ordered steak, and I thought, why is he getting steak? Why would you order that when you could get all these other things? But out came steak. I mean, it was this succulent, beautiful, perfect ribeye. You know, just juicy, the perfect sear marks right on, on it. Getting hungry? And I looked at that and I said, what is that? He said, well, that's steak. I said, no, that's not steak. He said, yes, that's steak. And so I told him what I was used to seeing, and, and so I, I took a, a bite of his steak, which he was so graciously offered, and it was like, oh. My eyes were opened. Let me tell you, I never had Salisbury steak again. And I went back, and I, I said to uh, my mom and dad, I was like, let me, let me cook steak for us. I think I can actually do this. So I, we got a steak, and we, I put it on the grill. And from that point on, and to this day, um, my dad always asked for me to make him steak because I just became totally hooked on what really is steak, and I never went back, right, because that was, that was the ultimate. Um, that's, that's how it's got to be with us when it comes to Christ. We've got to understand that everything that the author here says about Jesus is true, that he is the supreme one, Uh, that no matter how good the other uh, revelations and messages about him might be, and they are, all throughout the Old Testament it points to Jesus. But it points to him in in a limited manner. It points to him in a fragmented manner. When Jesus came as the incarnate God, all those other messages and all those other revelations found their meaning and they found their fulfillment in him. And as we who look back on Jesus through the New Testament, we need to take all that we see in him in in this word and apply it to everything in life and, and say always to ourselves, look to Jesus. We need to preach that to ourselves all the time. Look to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Elevate Jesus. Exalt Jesus. Because he is the supreme. He is the best. He, not trying to be blasphemous here, but he is the steak. You know, he's, he's the best steak. There's nothing else that compares. Not, everything else is just kind of this weak imitation, ultimately. And because of that, I, I also agree with this more recent uh, statement, uh, who is... Um, though very much like Lewis in his writing and in his apologetic skills, I really recommend this man too for any of you to read, Kevin DeYoung. Um, just great, great man of God currently. 
And he said this, You cannot love Jesus too much. You cannot follow him too closely. And you cannot adore him too intensely. Every other man, woman, or child on the planet, dead or alive, can become an idol for you. But not this one, speaking of Jesus. You cannot devote yourself to him too fully and too completely. It's absolutely true. So what that means for us, as I said at the beginning, is that we need to make sure we're guarded against what is so often a temptation for us, what is so often possible, which is that we, we do, as Lewis said, kind of fool about with other lesser things, or that we, like Kevin DeYoung says, make an idol out of even good gifts from God, and we, we worship the gift instead of the gift giver. We can do that with with our family, our loved ones. We can do that with our health and our abilities. We can do that with things and, and our ambition, all of which are good things. But we need to be guarded against that. We need to be fully devoted to Jesus and fully satisfied uh, in him. But we also uh, need to, to do what all the faithful servants of God did all throughout their lives and throughout their ministries in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's they, they pointed to Jesus in all that they did, in all that they said, Uh, Not perfectly, but consistently. They all pointed to him. Even with the Old Testament people that didn't quite understand what they were writing. Uh, Peter talks about that. They didn't even fully understand the revelation God gave them. But they were faithful to write it down anyway. They They were faithful to point to the coming promises of God found in the Messiah. And the followers of Christ that wrote about him, they, they pointed him, they exalted him, they, they lifted him up and they lifted him high because they came to believe what we need to believe, that there is no one better. There's no thing better. We need to do that with our lives, constantly point to Jesus as being the supreme, the best. Because once we come to Christ, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. We're called to proclaim him and his greatness and his glory. We're, we're called to shine our light on him. We're called to, to be a spotlight, shining all the attention on him. And so people see his glory, not ours. We're called to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks the reason for the hope we have. And there will always be only one answer that is better than all the other reasons that we have for hope. It's Jesus. He is the ultimate answer because he's the best. We need to keep that in mind. We need to be constantly coming back to that. We need to be repenting of of all the different times we do look to other things and pursue other things above and beyond him. We need to be mindful of of the tendency that we have to put something or someone in place of Jesus. And we need to constantly repent of that, church. He is better always than everything else. We need to believe it. We need to live it out. And we need the Spirit's help to do that. So let's, let's do that now. Let's pray together and let's take what we heard from this incredible first chapter of Hebrews and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power to apply it. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its relevance in and through our lives. I thank you that you gave us the reminder through your word that Jesus is better and always will be. He is the ultimate best. No one can even come close to him. No no thing can ever come close to who and what he is. 
And as the Jewish Christians that this was written to struggled with remaining completely devoted to him and exclusively devoted to him, and they struggled with going back to the law and trying to include the law with their relationship with Christ and trying to make it Jesus and. And just as the author was trying to correct that and say, no, no, you're missing it. All those other things pointed to Jesus. He's the best. Look to him. We need that reminder too. We do the same thing. We can pursue a legalistic, performance-based faith and relationship with you instead of relying solely on the finished work of Jesus and who he is. Or we can fill our hearts and our minds with other things in front of him instead of him. We can be an idol-making factory so easily. So please help us to, to heed this word, that Jesus is a better word. He is the best word, that he is the final and full revelation of all you are, that all that was written about before finds its fulfillment and its completion in him. And so help us to, to keep our eyes focused, focused and fixed and Keep our our whole self just fixed on him and rooted in him and anchored to him. Help us by your spirit. Convict us when we wander off away from him. Holy Spirit, keep revealing to us the magnificent nature of who Jesus is, the matchless nature of who he is, the reality of who and what he is and what he's done for us. Keep us fully devoted to him alone. Please, Spirit of God. And help us to accept the calling that you've given us as those who have come to him. To be the ambassadors for Jesus, for his greatness, for his superiority. And help us to point others to him in all that we do. We need your help. Guide us in this, we pray. And I ask all of this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.